now as we think through this issue and we'll thank you for how you change us and how you use uh, your truth in helping us uh, help others. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I didn't finish. I'm pastor at LaRue Baptist Church in LaRue, Ohio, and I've been there since 1985. Or, as Keith would say, as he introduced me, I think I was two then. So, anyway. All right, let's talk about Jody for a moment. Jody's a 21-year-old female student at a nearby university. She's in her third year of college and works part-time. On the religious portion of her PDI, she expresses a belief in God, leaves the question concerning salvation blank, but then notes that she questions organized religion and the absoluteness of Christianity. When you start probing in this area, you find out that she'd been to a Christian school for a while, one that could be characterized as legalistic. She considers it to be elitist to say that there's only one way to God. Her presentation problem is depression. In answer to the question, what's the main problem as you see it, she writes, I don't know. She says she's struggling with depression but can't really put a finger on it. She can't remember when it started, at least a long time ago. She's had drastic mood swings. Just seeing a tree would make her happy, and then a television show would cause her to lay down and cry. Where would you start with Jody? Where would you start with her? And some people would say, well, let's get going on that depression, because that's what she thinks is the problem. But I would suggest that there's a far more, more important basic issue at play here. It's the issue of how she sees Christianity in the world. Unless you address those issues, you're just going to put Band-Aids on a serious wound. And and the depression, right, the depression can really grab you and say, man, we got to get to work on this. But there's a reason why I don't think you should start there. Because in order to produce change that will affect the whole person, change that's going to be lasting, you have to deal with those basic issues. Because without a proper understanding of the world and of God, nothing significant will happen. Now, you all know that already. You know that already. And yet, I want to, to try to at least communicate to you a big picture here that will help you um, understand more than just she needs to be saved. Okay? Um, we want to talk about worldview. Now, we need to understand the importance of worldview here. What am I talking about when I use the word worldview? Well, here's a definition of worldview. Okay, now listen. You signed up for the advanced class. We're going to get really philosophical here, okay? And and um, so you may, you know, okay, let's concentrate. You know, whatever it takes. Drink your water, suck down your coffee. But I think this is really important. Worldview is the basic frame of reference by which one interprets reality. That is the facts, the objects, the events, everything that makes reality. Now, here's the thing to remember. Every individual, whether they recognize it or not, and most don't, have made a commitment to some presuppositions by which he interprets the world. Okay? Here's something that we need to get into our minds because we've grown up in a culture that doesn't say this. But facts, objects, and events are not neutral, brute fact they are not self-interpreting. Okay? All right. This, 
Let me explain what I'm talking about here. Because they are not self-interpreting, we assign significance or we interpret them according to the frame of reference to which we have already committed ourselves. Now, you may be saying, no, no, just look at the facts. And I'm trying to say to you, there's no such thing as brute facts, just facts that are out there. We always assign significance. We always interpret. Let me give you an example. Let's talk about the Christian and the pagan ophthalmologist. When the pagan ophthalmologist takes that light and looks deep within your eye, does he see inscribed in the back of your eye, this is the product of evolutionary processes, purely here by chance in a random universe? Does he see that as he looks into your eye? No, that's not written in the back of your eye. It doesn't, your eye, him studying the eye doesn't say anything, but he interprets it according to his presupposition. He's a naturalist. Only the things that pass, you know, you remember the scientific method from junior high? You observe, you make up a hypothesis, you test that hypothesis with the same conditions every time, and when you, after repeated testing, you get the same result, you say, okay, you know, every time you take two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen, put them together under the same conditions, what do you get? Water, H2O, right? But what's the significance of that? Is that purely chance? Or is that the result of a divine designer? Right? You don't just look at the facts and come up with the interpretation. So the pagan ophthalmologist looks at your eye and he says, "Hey, this is the isn't it, this is the the product of chance in an evolutionary world." Or I would say, "No, this is the marvelous work of the Creator." There's not a tag. My children make fun of me the way I say my tag. Does that sound weird to you? Oh, good. You need to come back home with me. <laughs> All right. There's no tag on the events or the objects that you're looking at that tells you their ultimate significance. There's a difference in interpretation because of the frame of reference to which I've already committed myself to. The pagan ophthalmologist puts on the glasses of naturalistic presuppositions. I'll only accept as fact those things that I can prove through the scientific method. And the, and the theist, on the other hand, the Christian, puts on different glasses and says, no, that speaks of a divine creator. What about the child who's lost by drowning? Okay? Your unbelieving neighbor says, this is an accident, the result of living in an absurd, meaningless universe where random events like that occur. Right? That's what he would say. Now, that event did not come with that interpretation, did it? That event happened, and he interprets it a particular way. But you, on the other hand, your your believing neighbor then says, no, this has come by the providence of a sovereign Lord who is good and gracious and working all things for my good and the glory of his name. That tag isn't on that event either. You've committed yourself to that frame of reference by which you interpret all of reality. All right, is this making sense? Okay, all right. Now, With that in mind, do you see where I'm headed now? There's no such thing as brute facts out there. We all interpret them 
and assign significance to them in a particular way because of the frame of reference, the presuppositions to which we've already committed ourselves. By the way, we Christians aren't the only ones who commit ourselves to presuppositions. You know, it's not as if you're biased and the scientific community is not biased. Wrong. They have a different bias. You see what I'm saying? They've already committed themselves to these presuppositions that says we will only accept as fact those things you can prove by the empirically by the scientific method. Well, what does that do with things like soul? Well, don't even talk about that. You know, we're... So they already rule out from the very start some of the things that we think give us explanations. Are you following? All right. So now, here's the thing to remember. There are only two basic worldviews to which people commit themselves. Two. There is the autonomous worldview. Um, remind me, do you have fill in the blanks? Yes. Do you have only one blank per point or many? Yes, one. one. Okay, good. Then I'm going to move faster. All right. There's the autonomous worldview. All right, the autonomous worldview. Man is capable of assigning significance and interpreting the world without reference, without reference to God's revelation, God's plan, and or God's purpose. All right? So another world's, another, another uh, word, um, in other words, the person who says to you, um, get rid of all that God talk. Get rid of all that God talk. We, you know, don't, don't put that in here. You're just skewing, uh, the facts. No, no. When you operate with the autonomous worldview, where you assign significance without reference to God and His revelation in the Word of God, then what? Listen. That means you're assigning significance in rebellion. Have you ever thought of learning as a moral pursuit? You know, we've been brought up to think learning is just a neutral thing. No, it's not. You're either interpreting the world in submission to God or in rebellion against God, you see? And since this is a God-created world, such autonomous interpretation inevitably distorts reality. This is the thing that we need to see. That if I don't use the God talk, then I'm going to misinterpret everything. This is a God-created world, which means you can't understand the world apart from God and His revelation. So when I try to do that, I end up distorting reality. Categories that really explain things are ignored. So, for example, I don't know if you heard this. I forget the the uh, guy who who shot up all those people in Las Vegas about four years ago, and and I heard some people say, "Oh, if only, if only we could get his brain and examine it, we'll find out why he did what he did." Now, why would someone say that? Because they're already committed to these naturalistic presuppositions and say, well, the only answer has to be the physical organ of his brain. And if they find a different, a interesting wrinkle that no one else has, aha, there it is. But they're ignoring categories like sin, <laughs> like depravity. This guy was born shaking his fist at God and developed even more sinful habits by his sinful lifestyle, right? Right? Feudal and darkened and so forth. 
Look at the example of Eve. I think this is real important. Let's look at the the example of Eve. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, "We We may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said... You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now look, here's what Satan does. He, his temptation was to get Eve to disbelieve the significance that God had already assigned to that, for example, that one tree. That tree means death, right? That's the significance. Looking at that tree, would she know anything different? No. No, she wouldn't. But God says, that tree is death. You eat of that, you're going to die. Okay? Satan comes along and says, no, 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 no. You need to find out truth for yourself. You don't take that prior interpretation. You find out for yourself whether that's true. You run the experiment yourself. All right? Now, do you notice what happens here? Now she looks at the tree, and what does it look like? I find this fascinating. Desired, it looks good. It doesn't say death anymore, does it? Oh, no, that's the tree. That'll give me wisdom. You see, what Satan was doing was saying, forget the interpretation God has given you. You determine what the truth is. Autonomy. We don't need God to figure these things out. All right? Look at Romans 1.18. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in Romans 1.18. This is fascinating to me. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Please note, please note, I I always say this when I look at this passage, there's no such thing as an atheist. There's no such thing as an atheist. Everyone knows that God exists. Everyone has a sense of the existence of God. Is it that they're not looking at the facts? Is that what he says here? No, they are looking at the facts. They are looking at everything, and everything screams creator, right? But what do they do? What does the text tell us? They suppress that truth. They hold it down. So the issue is that it's not that they don't have enough facts. The issue is 
they're totally misinterpreting and distorting the facts because they're holding, suppressing the truth down. I find it... Now, I'm going to rant a little bit here. When I've talked to atheist guys and gals, okay, I'll be sitting there with them and they'll tell me all this stuff and I'll say, okay, would you care if someone came and raped your wife? Oh, that's horrifying. Why? Why? Why is that horrifying? It's just the outworking of the evolutionary process. In fact, a couple of scientists several years ago, I remember seeing this article, uh, hypothesized that rape was a way of of the species surviving by spreading your seed further. Okay? And everybody, the scientific community was in an uproar. And my response was, why are you guys in an uproar? Given your presuppositions, it it shouldn't make any difference. Where do you get ethics? And I'll say this all the time. So if someone raped your wife, would you ah, be horrified? Why? You see, what they do, you see, is they suppress the truth, but they're always borrowing capital from us, as, as the philosopher Van Til says. They're always borrowing capital. So they have a sense of, that's unethical. Well, given your starting point, why is it not? Why do you have any ethics at all? Right? If it's just the natural outcome... You know, I remember talking to one young guy and he said, well, our moral system has evolved. And I said, okay, so if I start killing people, maybe I'm just starting our system, the evolutionary system, going in another direction, right? Well, you can't do that. Why not? Because that violates people's rights. Well, I don't believe in their rights. I believe unless you believe just like me, I can kill you. Well, that's wrong. (laughs) You see? So what happens is, according to our text here, their thinking becomes darkened and futile. They're unable to give and unwilling to give proper significance to the world, its objects, and its events. That's what the autonomous worldview does. Now, then there's the serpent, serpent, servant, servant worldview, because... God is Lord, and because we're controlled by him and subject to his authority, the nature of our thought should reflect our status as servants. That is to say, all reality is pre-interpreted. That is, its meaning and proper significance are found in the plan and purpose of God. All right? It's our, we've already been told that the things that happen are because of the providence the plan and the purpose of god we've already been told that we've been told god is good it's all been i don't have to find out what god is like he's already told me okay and so we assign the significance to the world that god does in other words as some christian philosophers have put it we think god's thoughts after him okay So if I were to lose one of my children tomorrow, how would one with a servant worldview interpret that? How would he interpret that? All right? So I hope you see then the importance of worldview. The importance of worldview. Explanations of life have tremendous implications. The way you explain life will affect the perception and the interpretation of reality. 
as Romans 1, I believe that should be 23, to exchange the truth of God for a lie surely will have incredible practical implications. All right? In, in uh, I think tomorrow, I think it's tomorrow morning, I'm doing a lecture here on anthropology, and you're going to see this even more, that how we understand something is going to have significant effect on how we counsel and, and how we approach things and how we help people. All right. Now, we have to understand the importance of worldview for the counselee. Counseling problems are many times the result of a deficient or distorted worldview. Every counselee brings an interpretation to life experiences. Many times the counselee comes with a worldview that contains significant distortions or omissions. All right? The wife abuser, right? He doesn't see his role to be the servant of his family, but to be the king of the hill. And that force is acceptable is an acceptable means of producing submission. The person with significant loss says, how could God allow this? Now, can you hear the distorted worldview, the, the what's being left out? The teenager says, my parents are idiots. Okay, well, that may be true. But what does the Bible say about them that you need to remember? The angry person says, I have rights. I have rights. Whew. That kind of cuts across the old American grain, doesn't it? I have rights, so I can do these things to you. All right? Now... I sent this later, but do you have at the end of this lecture a little chart? Do you? Dave Pollison's chart? Okay, I want to make sure Dave gets credit for that. Dave Pollison was an absolute genius when it comes to biblical counseling. I love Dave. Okay, let's get through to the chart. All right, this is something that can be helpful to you even in in your day-to-day counseling. Okay, the top thing is um, the event. What's happened to the person? Then it goes down to what false beliefs whisper misleading counsel. There's where worldview comes in. How I view the world is going to determine how I interpret. All right? And then you go down this side, come down this way, and go up. Are you with me? And I, ha- I used to use this chart a lot when I was counseling. I'd be saying, okay, this is what the person says. What... What kind of misleading whispers is, is moving him in that direction? I mean, we talk uh, we talk about heart and desires, okay? Um, those are driven by these interpretations. So let's go back and run through this, okay? What what suffering have you experienced? What evil has happened? Um, tragic bereavement. Someone has um, someone has murdered your daughter. Okay? And you're sitting with someone where that's happened. All right? Whoops. What false beliefs whisper misleading counsel? I'm angry at God. Well, that's okay, because feelings are neither good nor bad. They just are. 
Right? That's how some people say, well, it's okay to be angry with God. Feelings just are. They're not right or wrong. They just are. Okay? Or just forget about it and go on. You'll never get over it. All right? Misleading counsel here. Now, how could God allow that? Maybe what's in their mind. The Bible truth will be an analgesic. Okay? Just, just dig deep into the Word of God and you won't feel the pain. You'll find God and you'll be happy. Okay? The five stages of grief. Anybody here about, have heard those? Yeah. Wow. Still around. The five stages of grief. Um, you know, denial, anger, depression, whatever. All five. So they got that. Okay, I have to go through this. So I, I get angry at people or I get angry at God. All right. How can you react? Because of that, how do you react foolishly? Escape. I... I stay away. My daughter's bedroom is now closed and no one ever goes in there ever again. We leave everything the way it was. Magnified intensity or expression. I'm, I'm, I'm letting everything out. Hypersensitive. I'm, I'm, you don't talk about this. We're not going to ever speak of this again, maybe. Or uh, complicated by evil reactions. Bitterness against the perpetrator. Um, self-recrimination, what could I have done? Self-pity, uh, why even go on with life? Or revenge, right? Revenge. I've sat with people or talked to people who actually plan to do see justice done. Um, by the way, that's also can be a, a up above in the box above about misleading counsel and what's whispering in your ear, justice. Justice has to be done. It has to be done now. Justice delayed is justice denied. Okay? What false interpretations of life organize your experience? So what are the interpretations of life that now organize your experience? Justice. Justice denied. Or justice delayed is justice denied. And so therefore, I can start beginning to start um, thinking the wrong thoughts and doing the wrong things. And now... Can you see how something like this can lead to bizarre behavior? Right? You can see how this leads to bizarre behavior. As you're consumed with these things and you listen to the counsel that's coming in, that false counsel, and you start giving yourself to those things so that now this organizes your experience and, man, you're just living for it. Um, Okay? All kinds of things can happen. All right, now we go to the bottom box. Okay, what are we going to do? Let's talk about what God is like and what is true. Is God good? Is God just? Will there be justice? Justice delayed doesn't necessarily mean justice denied because justice will not be delayed. Acts 17. God raised Jesus from the dead to show everyone there's coming a day when he's going to judge and he's going to judge perfectly. Isaiah 11. He's not going to be deceived by what's out there what what he's not going his eyes are not going to be deceived he'll see right through the stuff you can't put on a you know cut your hair and look really cool so that the jury doesn't see that you're really a terrible killer right he'll see right through all that stuff so he is just he is good right what else is true pain is a reality in a fallen world and i shouldn't be ashamed of pain right i can weep but what else is true about those who, who experience loss? According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
we grieve what? With hope, right? So all those things are going on. Now, what true interpretation of life organizes your experience? This is tragedy. This is a horrendous thing. This is beyond awful, right? I can't imagine what it would be like to, to, to lose one of my three daughters, okay? I, I can't even begin to imagine that. So this isn't the way it's supposed to be. There is a place for grieving, deep grieving, all right? Um, how can you respond wisely? Well, I face and suffer uh, sorrow. I, there's an appropriate intensity expression to it. There's an appropriate arousal. I, if you weren't angry about that, I'd be worried too. Right? You need to, there is justice, and this is unjust. This is horrendous. Um, um, you're going to go somewhere constructive, okay? All right, so that's kind of how, well, that's kind of what we're talking about here. These things always, um, interpretation means everything. Can I show you something? And I'm, please understand, I'm not a very good artist. I'm a terrible artist. I have a hard time with stick figures. All right, here's what I often do in counseling, and I don't know if all of you will be able to see this, but we'll call these events. Here's the person, and here's the emotions, depression or anger or anxiety um, or joy. And what we have a tendency to say is that these, these events... I'm telling you, this is the way we often think, even as biblical counselors. These events, these things happen producing these, right? Not so. That's not, a, that's not what happens. What happens is this. Between us and the events, and again, this is not very good. I've I got to find someone. Maybe my artistic son can help me with this. This is what I call an interpretive... Grid. See, all those events happen and they come through that grid of interpretation. Oops. And it's my interpretation of the events that produce these emotions. You follow? It doesn't just, it's not a straight there because these same events can produce anger in one person, anxiety in another, and joy in another. Right? The exact same events. What's the difference? The way I look at those events, the way I interpret those events. And so if you have a deficient or distorted worldview, that's what's going to happen. You see? I hope you're beginning to see how important this is. All right? This is real important to understand. All right, so what about the unbelieving counselee then? What about this unbelieving counselee? His problem is that he is interpreting life in rebellion against God and the significance that God has given reality. In fact, Romans 1 is one passage where 
They've descended into darkened and futile thinking. The Apostle Paul rings the same um, um, bell in Ephesians 4. Look what he says in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Note, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Please note all the knowing um, terms, understanding, uh, ignorance, um, darkened, futility. So what is he saying here? Listen, it boils down to, it's not just that unbelievers are coming up with the wrong answers. They're not even asking the right questions. They're not even asking the right questions. And so they're futile. Futile means vain. It's like their minds. Listen, in no way are we saying that unbelievers are doofus dummies. They can be very, very, very intelligent. And by the way, they can understand some of God's world through common grace. But their minds are running like a tire spinning in the mud. It just It's active. It's going. Right? It can construct systems. But it's, it's asking the wrong questions and coming up with the wrong answers. They're futile in their thinking. Vain. Um, busy but not getting anywhere. They're... they're um, why? Because of their ignorance of God. They've, they've um, turned their backs on God. They're ignorant of Him. And so therefore, because of that, they have futile, darkened understanding. Okay? So what does he need? Well, you already know that answer. He needs to be regenerated by God the Spirit and to be converted. So let's go back to Jody. With Jody, I spent a considerable amount of time talking about reality and, it, and its significance. Uh, not in general terms like this, okay? Right? Terry, as a supervising fellow now, if any of you want to be supervised by Terry, he's going to ask you this question when you go through. Did you teach or did you counsel? Right? So when we talk about this, I'm not talking about, yeah, I give him this worldview lecture. No, no. Whatever they put on the table... I'm going to bring this to bear on those particulars, okay? So so with Jody, it wasn't that I just said, okay, let's talk about this and put all this lecture on. No, we talked about the nitty-gritty of life, but I tried to get her to see this through a theological, God-oriented lens. And she said in the third session, there was a barrier between us because all we did was talk about theology, And I agreed, there is a barrier between us, and we do talk about theology. I agreed with her. But the reason why we have to talk about theology is because unless you get that, you won't understand even your own depression. You won't understand the reasons why you're depressed, right? And we could say, let's get busy with your tasks instead of just being lazy and going down the spiral. I hope you've all learned that. Going down the spiral, no, you need to understand that unless you understand this from God's point of view, unless you think God's thoughts after him, you, you, Jody, you're just not going to make progress. 
okay? Um, now, we did talk about the nitty-gritties of life, but I, I tried to to take those particulars and say, you see, this is what you're saying, this is what God says, as as what the significance of that is. And you need to understand that. Well, what about the believing counselee? Okay? The believer can still fall back into assigning wrong significance to the data of life. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.17. He says, I insist on it that you no longer live like the Gentiles live, who are futile in their thinking. So we can slip back into those old patterns. He's trying to get us, don't do that. And so what's his answer? What's his answer as you continue in the chapter? Put off, put on, right? Um, okay? Um, we have a, uh, we can do that. Um, gaps or wrong thinking brought into the new life cause misinterpretation, which, as, as David Paulison says, whispers misleading counsel. But the believer, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, now has, listen, the responsibility and the capacity to think correctly. To think correctly. I remember a, a young guy that I counseled. He was really, he's a new convert. He was really um, struggling with homosexuality. It came out of that. And you know what? He didn't get why it was so wrong. Okay? New Christian. He didn't get it. I tried to, I went to the Old Testament. I said God created God and Eve, not, or God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You know, we all do that little number. And I tried to show him in the Levitical law and all this kind of stuff. He just wasn't convinced. I gave him some homework to do some Bible reading. He came back the next week absolutely convinced. Why? Because he read in 1 Corinthians 10 that his body was not his own. Right? All of that within the context of sexual immorality, right? In 1 Corinthians uh, 6, uh, he said, you've been bought with a price. Your body's not your own. And that's what he said. He says, well, my body's not my own to do with what I want to do with it. I got to do with it what God says I have to do with it. Right? So he, again, paradigm shift. The word of God tells me, right? Tells me, uh, the, the world says, the, your body is yours. And, and the scripture says just the opposite. It's not yours by virtue of creation, and it's certainly not yours by virtue of redemption. Jesus bought that body, right? Even a thing that's you doesn't belong to you. Okay? And so, um, the believing counselee needs to reinterpret and assign biblical significance to his life experiences. I would assert, I would assert that that almost is what counseling is all about. It's about giving a biblical view of life. Understanding. You know, you got to understand that your heart, right? What... What causes us to do what we what what we're doing? Well, what causes us to do what we're doing is our heart's desires. We have desires. There, whatever the sin is, it started with a desire. It started in the heart, right? No one would know that unless God told us that. So I'm interpreting even my sin and everything by Scripture. 
I, I have a note here. Language is a, is a, that should not be maker. Sorry. That should be marker. Indicating worldview. Let me quote from a, a writer by the name of Bradley Beavers, E. Bradley Beavers, who wrote in the Journal of Biblical Counseling in the spring of 1994. Listen to what he says here, and this is really important. Terms not only describe the interpret. Right? Let me say that again. Terms not only describe, they interpret. Right? Just write that down. Put it on your refrigerator. Right? It's one of those refrigerator statements. You know what those are. They're so significant, you put a magnet and stick it on the refrigerator. Right? The incredible statements along with pictures of the grandchildren. Or the pictures that the grandchildren drew. All right? So that's important. Terms not only describe, they interpret. When we use a word such as gossip, many biblical images and exhortations come to mind, as well they should. When we try to describe the same activity in a more, quote, neutral fashion, what we really do is describe it in an unbiblical way. God's descriptive categories are not neutral. The scientific mindset can condition us to think of neutrality as desirable. Not so. We live in a universe full of God's voice. All that he created and over which he rules speaks to his glory. It reveals him. Neutrality is really a surrender to unbelief. It is a refusal to speak and think from God's perspective. Speaking neutrally is a failure to proclaim God's truth to a lost world and call it to repentance. Isn't it a proclamation of God's truth and perspective to use the term adultery or fornication in place of more neutral language with a fellow worker? Doesn't the term alternative lifestyle work to soothe his conscience and silence God's conviction? Our speech must affirm God's interpretation against the world's rebellious thinking. So keep that in mind. Terms not only describe, they interpret. Right? Oh, why? You say, okay... But I'd never do that, really. She makes me so mad. What have you just said with that? Right? She makes me so mad. Um, You know, the way way he treats me just makes me bitter. Um, You are so irritating. All right? So, you know, even the words that we use... We say, I'm committed to a biblical worldview. Pay attention to the language. Now, my family's just kind of done with me because I'm such a language nut. But I'm right. (laughs) All right? For counseling to be truly biblical and for counseling that brings real change, it has to deal with the worldview of the counseling. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you give lectures on worldview. That's teaching. That's not counseling. But at the very, this level, what, whatever they put on the table, part of your job is to get them to assign significance in submission to God. Alright? That's part of your job as a counselor. And I think if you don't do that, you won't have lasting change. Because interpretation determines everything. And so... At least you need to be thinking this way in order to um, 
in order to really help folks. Because listen, you're doing this all the time if you're, if you're counseling correctly. You are doing this. All right? Okay, how, how, what's the importance of worldview for the counselor? If the counselor does not have a servant worldview, he will distort what he sees and hears. Again, there'll be a distortion of reality, a distortion of the data. And he has to assign the same significance to the data that God does. Unless he makes what Paulson calls, uh, Dave Paulson, another article he wrote decades ago. Uh, I love what he said in there. You always have to have this. Here's what he said. God word referent. God word. God. God dash W-A-R-D. God word reference. Unless it's explicit, you're, you're not going to interpret correctly. You're not going to be able to help that person. This has got to be explicit. And you can't be afraid. You're sitting there with a counselee who's, uh, you're not sure. Are they going to come back? I don't want to push things too hard. Unless you're doing this, you're not going to communicate truth like you should. It'll be distorted. You will misunderstand. If you don't have that in your thinking, you're going to misunderstand um, that human beings. Now, we'll talk about this tomorrow in the anthropology lecture. And that is, Human beings only and always exist and are, be, and are to be evaluated in relation to God. You cannot understand anything accurately without that God word, God word ref, referent. The problem, and see, here's the problem with Christian psychology and the integrationist models of counseling is that they try to put together interpretations out of put interpretations, not data. They try to put together interpretations that come from the autonomous worldview and the servant worldview. They're trying to take something that was so-called discovered without reference to God's revelation along with things from God's revelation and you can't put those two together. You can't be eclectic in that manner because the interpretations are entirely Different. And by the way, you know what normally happens, don't you? This one wins out over the biblical interpretation almost always. Um, you know, here's the thing. We're willing to admit dependency on the scriptures for salvation and Christian service, but not for knowledge. We're, we're willing to be dependent on the word of God for salvation and service, but not for knowledge. And that can't be. We have pagan minds and methods to find truth in the God-created world, and we have to be willing to bring every thought captive to Christ. So, for counseling to be truly Christian, then theistic categories must control. Those theistic categories, those God-references, if you will, must control our interpretation, our discussion, everything about it. So... In your counseling, you need to understand the foundational importance of worldview. It is important for the counselee if he's to make lasting changes, to have a renewed worldview. It is important for the counselor to have a biblical worldview if he's going to be effective in his counseling. All right? Here's what you need to be doing. You need to be 
listening for the worldview your counselees express. Now, you'll meet Christians that have almost nil of a biblical worldview. And you'll also have counselees who have a distorted or, or um, worldview, okay? They're, they're, they're leaving things out or they're misunderstanding because they're not interpreting them right. So teach your people so that they're in the business of constructing a biblical frame of reference, the glasses that they need to see things clearly. Okay? All right, any questions? Oh, that always worries me. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a good question. I'll have to go back and look at my files from literally 30 years ago. Oh yeah. What do I do with, are you asking what I, you know, when I have an unbelieving, uh, what I think is an, uh, is an unbeliever as a counselee, I mean, I, I hammer the gospel, of course. I give them homework where they have to interact with gospel and so forth. But I also challenge their thinking. Let me give you an example. So here's a couple that comes in. I know them. I live in a small town. I know these folks. And, and I'm the, you know, um, there's a Methodist pastor across the street and there's me. And I've been in LaRue for 36 years. So everybody knows me. I'm the counseling guy, right? So this couple comes. I know them, right? Kids go to the same school. We know each other. And, I mean, they're they're just fighting and arguing. and I, And I present the gospel to them and... Not much happens, and actually nothing happens. And they come back, and they're fussing and fighting. And and I tell them this. You're going to keep doing this until God gives you a new heart. And I'd give them homework to do. You say, you gave homework to unbelievers? Oh, yeah. And they come back, and they failed miserably. Right? And if they're not aware of that, I show them how they failed miserably. Right? Not the wrong motive, not the right motives and so forth. And I say, you know what? You need a new heart. You need to ask God for a new heart or you won't be able to do any of this. Well, they still are hanging in there, so I give them stuff to do and they come back. Guess what I told them? You need a new heart. <laughs> right? And I explained to them, we're born in depravity, we're futile in our thinking, all those things, right? Um, but I think that's a kind of a... Um, I appreciate you asking that question because that's kind of the thing that we're talking about here of worldview right in the particulars of counseling. You're a born sinner, and that doesn't just mean you do bad things. It means that you don't even think right and that God needs to give you a new heart in order for you to think right and in order for you to to want to do what God tells you to do. And I told this to them, and they kept coming back, and I kept telling them the same thing and giving them work that would at least help them see that. They eventually quit coming. Um, So that's kind of an example, I guess. All right. Okay, break time.